In our last study, the Apostle cursed those who tried to conquer our internal evil desires with the false medicine of religious legalism. But Paul is just as concerned to warn us against those who try to use Christ's grace as a pretense for engaging in sin. Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter study leader, begins this second message in our Living Free series entitled Enslaved by Lust from Galatians 5:13 and following with the Apostle Paul's warnings against the dangers of allowing spiritual viruses to establish a base of operation in our lives. A week ago, Wednesday, we gathered together with a group of pastors. It's a great thrill uh, in Midlothian to know that all the pastors joined together in what we call the Ministerial Alliance. As we gathered together a week ago this past Wednesday, I was really disappointed because my, my dear friend Carl Frieda, who's the pastor over at the Methodist Church, was not there. And Carl's usually our one that emphasizes the need to pray. And as we listen to him pray, he really strengthens all his fellow pastors. But he wasn't there. And then I heard the, the really tough news that he had pneumonia. And Carl wrestles with, uh, with a diabetic condition that makes his body really vulnerable. And he, uh, he went to see his doctor a couple weeks ago and said, man, you got a bad early fall cold. cold and, you know, if we don't jump on this right away, you know, you're going to get really sick. You, you're going to get pneumonia. And sure enough, about two days later, Carl was into full-blown pneumonia. I mean, he's coughing, and his lungs are filling up with mucus, and he, he can't breathe. And he was into full-blown uh, pneumonia. How did that happen? Well, I remember the kid. I had pneumonia over and over again. It would happen. You'd start out with just a little cold. You know, somebody would sneeze, and they wouldn't cover their mouth, and somebody would forget to wash their hands. And all you do is do this simple thing, like reach out and shake their hand, and that, that little bacteria, that streptococcus bacteria, gets into your system, and then your body's a little bit down, you're a little bit weak, and man, that, that bacteria begins to explode. And pretty soon, you're in the jaws of what can be a deadly case of pneumonia. Now, praise God, Carl, uh, at, the, at the prayer meeting on Friday at the Larkin Cabin, was able to be there. He's back up onto his feet, but as he shared with me, about the vulnerability of his own body to pneumonia, I thought about the vulnerability of your life spiritually to having a little virus, a spiritual virus that gets into your lungs, gets into your spiritual lungs, and it, has a, it establishes a base of operation. It establishes a base camp in your life, and then it mounts attacks out into your life. In Galatians 5, the passage we want to look at today as we go on in Galatians, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, it says in verse 13 that you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but rather serve one another in love. The Apostle Paul in this passage is speaking about another great danger. Now, last week we talked about the danger of being enslaved by religion and thinking that you can beat your old nature, thinking that you can beat the flesh, that you can conquer the besetting problems of daily living and falling into bad behaviors, that you can beat that through religion. Now, let's just review a little bit. In fact, let's go back in the passage. If you look at verse 7, that we, where we, we left off in verse 6 last week. I want to pick up on finishing this paragraph where the Apostle Paul is warning us against the false teaching of legalism, 
the belief that you can conquer your old nature, that you can conquer the sin that lives within you through your own strength. Look what he says. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? As I read that verse, I think of what a lot of you saw yesterday as you were watching football and everything. Uh, As a football player, you've all seen this happening. When you're actually playing football, it's one of the greatest highs uh, when you play ball. my, My sophomore year in college, instead of playing quarterback, I got to play about half the season as a running back, and I love that. There's nothing like, you know, going off tackle and your tackle makes a great block and your guard on the other side levels the linebacker and you are handed the ball and suddenly it's like sunshine. I mean, you got all this mass of bodies and I was always so little, so it always looked like, you know, these gigantic guides were around me, but it looked like a tunnel of light and you'd bust through the line and if, the, if your men got the linebacker, man, it was clear sailing. I'll never, and it's the greatest tool in the world. I mean, you see the goal line and you're running and all of you have seen that happen. Now, if you're really fast, nobody can ever catch you. I was never quite that fast. And so as you're taken off into the clear and you're running, this cornerback has an angle on you. So you're running, man, you think you can hear the stands cheering and you think you're going to score. And suddenly this cornerback comes and he's got the angle on you. And about the five-yard line, he levels you. And you go, oh, no. That's what the Apostle Paul is picturing. It's like the Galatians, when the Apostle Paul presented the gospel to them, it's like they broke into the clear spiritually. Man, they were growing. The power of the Spirit was in their life. They're rejoicing in the gospel. They're sharing the cross, the message of forgiveness through the cross. They're sharing the power of the resurrection. They're running well in their Christian life, and then suddenly they get leveled. They get tackled. And the Apostle Paul is saying that what leveled them was these false teachers that came in. And these false teachers are moving them away from obedience to the gospel. You see what Paul said? He said that you need to believe in the gospel, but then you need to obey the gospel. And for the next several weeks as we talk about how to overcome this sinful tendency that's deep in our lives, how to keep growing, it's important for us to keep obeying what our faith is telling us. The Apostle Paul is saying these legalists are tempting you to move back into depending upon yourself, thinking you can beat your bad habits, thinking that through your own keeping of religious holidays and wearing certain kinds of clothes and, and, and keeping 613 rules of Old Testament Judaism, that somehow that will conquer your flesh within, your sinful nature within. And Paul is saying, no, it won't. You got, he's saying, who blocked you? And the answer to that is these religious legalists, these Judaizers. The Apostle Paul goes on and says, this kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. But the Apostle Paul, he's, he's just very blunt about this. He's saying, you need to think back over the fact that your heavenly daddy knew you in eternity past. And he moved in your life, and the Holy Spirit brought all kinds of influences together in your life. As, as Leo Gonzalez, as we spent a lot of time with the Gonzalez family with the loss of their 21-year-old grandson. Leo shared with me about his spiritual journey. You know, as a young man growing up there in, in Dallas, in South Dallas, uh, he came in contact with a man who believed in the Bible, it was a Bible church background, a lot like ours. This man's now living in Waxahachie. And he saw Leah was a young man, and he started presenting the good news. Leah was raised in a culture that emphasizes that you need to be religious. You need to, to go to this ceremony. You need to have this spiritual leader direct you. You need to confess your sins to this particular individual. It's all built on a lot of religion. And Leo had a man show them, no, it's by the cross of Jesus Christ alone. It's by the power of the resurrection. And the Holy Spirit can live in your life. 
And that man shared the good news of Jesus. And Leo shared with me how that influence brought him to faith in Christ. And then they got going in business. And then in 1988, they were able to come out to our church family. And now I can look back over all those years. I remember when I first met Leo and Adela and the choices they were making. And as we had to go through a very sorrowful moment, and as Adela was able to share about how she shared the good news of Jesus with her grandson when he was just five years of age, I couldn't help but think of the calling of God in their life and the way they responded to that and the difference that it made. And the Apostle Paul, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you were running really well. Don't listen to false teaching. Don't be persuaded to move away from the gospel of free grace because the one who called you is faithful and it's going to make an incredible difference where you end up in your life. What the Apostle Paul is saying. The next thing he brings up is that his enemies, uh, he talks about the, the permeating influence, a little yeast. He uses a little proverb here. He uses a little yeast permeates the entire lump of dough. And that reminds me of when my wife Mary took uh, uh, sourdough, made sourdough bread for our boys, for our boys to be born. The, her, the, the doctor that delivered Jonathan and Joel actually was a Mormon guy, and he would let Mary bake bread. So my kids are worth so many loaves of bread. But I'll never forget, you know, Mary having this ugly, you know, this smelly stuff. Man, we took it with us everywhere you go. I mean... You know, this sourdough, we had to take this starter solution. You, I don't even know what that is. You ladies know what it is. But this skunky stuff we took everywhere. But Mary would take just a little pinch of that stuff, and it would permeate the entire big lump of raw dough. And Paul is saying that that's what false teaching is. In your own life, if you start to listen to the wrong person, to the wrong teacher, you start to move down the wrong path, it begins to permeate your life, and it permeates an entire body of believers. The Apostle Paul has the guts to say, watch out for that little bit of false teaching that you let into your life because it'll permeate the whole entire dough. And Paul is concerned that the entire churches of Galatia, all these precious churches, will begin to fall under the sway of religious legalism. That they will be moved away. This little bit of false teaching will permeate the church. And by the way, he was right on. Because one of the things that happened in church history is that the, in, our fathers did really well in getting the Trinity right. They did really well in the church councils getting the doctrine of the Word of God right. But when they came to the gospel of grace, they blew it. They mixed a little bit of good works in it. Fancy theological word for it is Pelagianism. Pelagius was a man that said, you need to be saved by grace, but then you need to be kept by your own strength. There's a little bit of good in you that you can work hard to do that. And that began to grow and grow and grow, so much so that by the time Martin Luther came along in the 1500s, the early 1500s, the church was actually having you pay them in order to spring your loved ones from, from purgatory. They were actually saying, if you give us a little bit of money to build St. Peter's, then we'll be able to pray hard and spring your loved ones from purgatory. And, and the middle-aged church became totally ensnared in exactly the error the Apostle Paul was speaking against, that you could overcome sin by your own good works. And praise God 
that the Lord began to work, not just in Martin Luther's life, and, but, and these were monks, these were Roman Catholic priests, and the Holy Spirit began to really move them as they studied Scripture, and it generated what we call the Reformation. And in Vatican II, several years ago, there was another resurgence, even within the Roman Catholic community, and a movement back towards more grace. We need to pray that that will accelerate, that it will grow, that this, if this permeating influence of religious uh, performance and depending upon your own strength will be totally destroyed within the entire uh, group of cr- people that call themselves Christians. There's another lie. Look at the next verse, verse 10. I am confident, the Lord, that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whatever he may be. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the scandal, the offense, of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go all the way and just castrate themselves. The Apostle Paul was not politically correct. In fact, that's really to be, if you're from a British background, that's a bloody joke. What he's picturing here is he says, these false teachers want you to get circumcised. I wish the knife slips. And in our culture, we don't ever talk like that. But it's amazing, like when Hurricane Katrina came blasting through New Orleans and there wasn't any hope and people started dying, suddenly people started speaking really strong and straight. And we need to start caring. You know, people are on the roofs of their houses going to hell and dying. And false teaching is, is, is not rescuing them. And the Apostle Paul was one of the few people in church history that understood what the, what, what the dimensions of the, of the crisis were. And that's why he says, I don't tolerate this false teaching for a second. He says how stupid it is. You see, what the false teachers were saying is they told a stupid lie. The Apostle Paul comes and tells you Gentiles that you can be saved by grace. But when he leaves you, he keeps all the laws of Judaism. And that's the way he's really being perfected in his life. And he's not filling you in on all the powerful good news that you can have by going back into religious Judaism. And that was a lie. And you need to realize in your own spiritual life that you're going to have people come in. They start pulling on your heart. They start teaching you things that aren't lined up with the Scripture. And it begins to be like yeast that works in your life. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, wait a minute. That's crazy. I'm being persecuted because I say that the only victory you can have over sin is in a cursed man that hung on a cursed cross that took all the curse for you. And if you'll just totally depend upon that cursed one on the cross, you'll never have to pay the penalty for your sin. In the first century world, the cross was not something you hung around your neck. It was something that you wouldn't even want to mention but God says that that's where your sins were paid for. That was the scandal of the cross. Nobody could believe that God could send his beloved son and he would die such an agonizing death. But the good news was that that's how terrible sin is, that it took that terrible curse to conquer it. But Jesus did it. And when you rest in that cross, and one of the ways that, you, that you'll be delivered, one of the ways you can know whether truth is being spoken is, do they cherish the old rugged cross? And in our modern theology, you have a lot of talk about how, this, how the cross is a terribly bloody thing. And, and I've even heard lectures where they talk about how it's about an abusive father who abused his son. And that's the source of all abuse in families. It's amazing how sin takes the most blessed act of self-sacrifice and turns it into a violent, bloody thing that's destructive and ruinous. But that's the society we live in. In fact, one of the ways to know that you're really preaching grace 
is when people attack what you're saying about the cross. And the Apostle Paul is saying, in the book of Galatians, you never move away from the cross. Now, that's the danger of getting trapped in this false teaching of legalism. Some of you are raised in that. You're kind of like a girl named Susan. You were raised in a very conservative home. You went to church every time the door was opened. You had to memorize all the verses. When you, your friends all went to the gap, you had to go to the Salvation Army. And you covered your body from head to toe. You almost felt like you were Islamic as you were being raised. And then suddenly, but you're really smart. So as you come up through high school, you're doing really well in the grades. You take the SAT, and man, you ace it, and you get a scholarship fully paid to the state university. When you get down to the state university, you don't have mom and dad hovering over you. You don't have to wear clothes that look like, you know, that they were taken out of the missionary barrel. You can go to the Gap, and you can get the tightest jeans you can find, and you can get that that tight-fitting T-shirt, and you can get that designer belt, and you can let the guys at the party see the very gentle but very well-defined six-pack that you've been working really hard in the gym to be able to get. And so suddenly during the first few weeks and the first few months at university, man, you are going to parties, and man, you weren't allowed to date when you were in high school because you're from this real conservative background, but man, now you're doing a whole lot more than dating, and you're seeing guys and girls at parties do stuff right out in the open that your mom and dad couldn't even dream about doing. And you were a virgin all the way through high school, but by Christmas time, when you go home for spring break, you're not a virgin anymore. What happened? I see it happen to kids all the time. It happens to kids in our own church. All you got is your rules. All you got is it's religion. And you dream that that great big world out there is where it's really free. So when you go to that party and your body begins to really come on and the drum, the drum beat is just making every corpuscle of your body begin to vibrate and a man touches a young woman's body and, the, and, the, and a tremendous surge of electricity goes through it and you begin to feel passion and love for the first time. You forget all about that God says, that's a good thing. On your marriage night, the first night of your marriage, that's going to send you to heaven. I want you to be in bed with a man that promises you he'll never leave you and never forsake you. If you get sick in your old age, he'll take care of you in the rest home. If you get pregnant, he's going to be there to be a daddy for your kids. I want you on your wedding night, when he touches you, to know that you're safe, that you're secure, and then I want your body to explode with passion, and I want you to culminate that marriage as the high point of the physical expression of your unity together. But Satan says, no, that's not freedom. What real freedom is, that's all prudish. Who would ever think of the prudish thing of only doing it with one person when you can do it with everybody? You can hook up with everybody. And so you explore the passions of your physical body used away from the plan that God has for you. That's what Susan did. Now that's the other side of these two cliffs that you'll fall off of and be destroyed. One is to think you can beat the sin within through your own obedience to religious rules. The other side is to say there aren't any rules. There isn't any morality. It's not wrong to have premarital sex. It's not wrong to have adulterous relationships. As long as you have two consenting adults, it's not wrong to have homosexual relationships. As long as two consenting adults have fun together and don't hurt anybody, it's okay. Well, I got news for you as a pastor teacher. You are hurting one another. You're hurting me. You're hurting your kids. 
The biggest lie that you're being told is you don't hurt other people. You discourage, you depress, you tear apart faithful things that should never be called into question. You hurt people. You hurt one another. If you're a young person, you hurt your friends. It's the total lie that the full expression of license is freedom. It enslaves you. It hurts you. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, watch out. He says, so, he says, you my brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom, but don't use your freedom in Christ to indulge a sinful nature, sinful nature but use your freedom in, instead. Rather, serve one another in love. What's the antidote to this? What's the antidote to this? He's saying, don't use your freedom as a, as a base of operations. What he's saying is when you buy into this lie that there aren't any moral standards and that your obedience to Christ just sets you free to do whatever you want to and you become a libertine Christian, he's saying that you allow the evil one to establish a base of operations in your life and this base of operations will mount temptations against your life and you'll start out slow, but eventually you'll be totally enslaved in sinfulness. The Apostle Paul is saying that that'll kill you. Be careful of it. Don't let Satan establish a base of operation in your life. What's the antidote to that? He doesn't say, well, the antidote to that is to have more rules. Go to a church family that has more external control. He says, no. He says, the antidote to indulgence of your passion illicitly is to love one another under the power of the Holy Spirit. You conquer the flesh not through rules, but through real, biblical, loving relationships towards one another. He's saying through love we serve one another. The sensualist lives for the way they experience physical joy and passion. It's their whole goal. If you're a sensualist, you sit there today saying, I don't feel happy. I don't feel loved. I feel dead inside. I, I, I haven't been able, like you'll hear it constantly on TV, like I haven't been able to have intercourse in the last three months as if that's a horrible thing. Nobody would ever do that, so I have a right to have illicit relationships. That's the sensualist. I have my rights. I should be able to enjoy myself. Your whole society preaches you that gospel. It's a life that's focused on yourself. Your thought process is all about you. You're angry with other people because they're not meeting your needs, and it goes on and on and on. What's the answer to that? Instead of focusing on yourself and living selfishly, you start to live focused on others to sacrifice themselves. You're, the skin of the cross is your whole spiritual life flows from the cross. You want to be happy? It says you serve one another in love. You become a slave to one another. And this is the incredible irony of what the Apostle Paul is saying. The licentious person says, you'll be free if you do whatever you feel like doing. And that's what all the society tells our young people. Just do whatever your heart very well wants to do. If you feel it, go for it. The Apostle Paul is saying that that'll make you a slave. Jesus says, become my slave. Join me on the cross Self-sacrifice yourself by meeting the needs of other people. Start living for how can I meet the needs of one another. And he says, if you'll do that, amazingly you'll find out you're free. And you're going to have to decide as a congregation whether what you believe is the real place that you can find freedom. The Apostle Paul says that this power of Christ living inside of us sets us free to not live a life for self, but to live a life meeting the needs of others. So as a husband... 
The issue today isn't all, well, is Mary meeting Dave's needs? Is, is she being a good wife? Is she being respectful? Is she really being obedient to all of my incredible decrees that I give, up, give to her today? The issue is, am I meeting Mary's needs? Am I making sure that, that she's well taken care of? Am I willing to really focus on self-sacrificially giving to you, which is an act of my will that generates through the power of the Holy Spirit a deep-seated love? And all of you can ask yourself as a child. You, you say, my parents aren't meeting my needs, and they don't understand me and everything else. As a believing child, you say, how can I help this job for my parents to be easier? How can I help them? I know they're stressed out at work and they feel all kinds of pressure. How can I, as a child, just really serve them and meet their needs? And so you clean the table up. When you're done eating, you don't just blast up from the table, go in and watch TV, and your mom's already worked, you know, 65 hours that week. You go, Mom, forget about it. An 11, 12-year-old says, man, I'll clean the table. And then you get in, you clean all the dishes, brothers and sisters together. Some of your moms would literally be, have nervous breakdowns if you did that. And that's where this love needs to get, through love you serve one another. Some of you teenagers would say, Mom and Dad, I'll take care of my little brothers and sisters Friday night. Why don't you split? I, you're, I, I want you to have a good time. That's what a believing child could do. Some of you, some of the kids that are here, their mom and dads don't know Jesus. You know how you reach your parents for Jesus? You start loving them like that. And when your parents start to see a teenager that serves them and loves them, then they're going to suddenly come to know Jesus because it's real. Suddenly, this whole thing becomes really real. The Apostle Paul goes on and says, For the entire law is summed up in a single command. And then he quotes from, Deuteronomy, uh, from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by one another. Leviticus 19.18 is the heart of the Mosaic law. It's after a long chapter, Leviticus 19, the first half of this verse says, don't bear a grudge against your neighbor. Don't take vengeance against your neighbor. So it's very practical. That's, that's Leviticus 19.18a. Leviticus 19.18b uh, says, love your neighbor yourself. How many of you like it when someone maintains a bitter grudge against you? How many of you get up in the morning and say, I can't believe it, man, there's about 10 people that are really stewed at me. And they're not forgiving me. And man, they remember stuff that I did 20 years ago. Man, I can hardly wait to have more contact with them. It'll be marvelous to have another fight today. How many of you like that? And that's where the rubber meets the road. None of you like someone to keep a bank of bitterness. And so the Apostle Paul says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You would want others to let it go. In John Bunyan's famous story of Christian, Christian comes up to Mount Calvary. And all the way through the story, you're struggling with him because he has this great big sack of sin and it's his own sin and he's carrying up to, you know, to Calvary. And suddenly he gets up to Mount Calvary and he looks at his Savior and suddenly as he looked at the Savior, this big sack of guilty, you know, Christian sins get tumbles down the mountain and, it's, and, and you almost in the story just jump up with freedom. If you've ever done a lot of backpacking like I am, there's just nothing like taking off that backpack after hiking for eight hours trying to get up to the top of Mount Marcy to be able to get that stupid weight off of you. 
A lot of you understand that when it comes to your personal salvation, but a lot of you, when it comes to living your Christian life day by day, in your marriages, in your friendships, in the way that you live with one another day by day, you're, you're accumulating a whole sack of injustices that you think people have done to you. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you concentrate on that sack. And you totally don't understand that you need to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And you need to take another journey to Calvary and get a, take a list, list out all those dirty, rotten things that those people have done to you. List them out. And then ask yourself, will I let Calvary cover them all? so that I can become a person that is able to love those that are unlovely, that are able to give to those that don't meet my needs. The Apostle Paul is saying that it's through the power of Christ that we can actually do unto others as we would have them do unto us. None of us like people that hold grudges against us, so let's not do it to one another. That's the thrust of the golden rule. He says through the power of Jesus and it's, and that we can do this, that we can actually um, be able to fulfill this command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Paul is not introducing the law in through the back door. Paul isn't saying, okay, now we need to obey the law. What he's saying is, you don't obey the law because it's an external law. You don't deny the ethics that God has given to us, but instead there's a higher way through the power of the Spirit you can have Calvary love enter your heart, control your life, and through the power of the resurrected Jesus living inside of you, you can become someone that loves others like you love yourself. But there's a danger. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you're going to be destroyed by one another. And I love the realism of the Apostle Paul. In a believing family, what he's saying is, your home can become like a dogfight. I want to ask you, if I enter your home throughout the course of the week, does your home look like a beastly fight? The whole atmosphere is you're biting and devouring each other. Have you ever watched dogs fight? You've all heard my stories about Willie. Willie is this big. He weighs about 20 pounds. Everybody that comes to our house, he growls at. He's beautiful, so you reach down to touch him because everybody wants to touch him. We have to no, don't touch him because you reach down, he <laughs> But we have a dog named Bentley that's Arthur Nahanis' dog, and Bentley is three times bigger than Willie, probably ten times bigger than Willie. He looks like a wolf. And Mary's walking Willie, and Willie's minding his own business, and suddenly Bentley comes from the side and pounces on Willie, and Willie doesn't even have a chance to growl. Just with a vicious snarl, Bentley came down over Willie's whole body. When dogs really fight, they fight to kill. When I was a little kid, I had a great big Irish setter that weighed about 100 pounds, great big Irish setter. And there was a poodle that lived next door to us that was never chained up. We had to chain up our big 100-pound Irish setter, but this dog next door, this little poodle, ran free and would go over near Snorky, the name of my Irish setter, and would go like this, and then he'd run just a little bit away from Snorky. One day, when I was about 10 years old of age, I would take Snorky for walks. And I walked around our block in New Jersey, down this hill, and then there was this great big hedge, and suddenly, about 20 yards away, that neighbor's poodle was being walked by my neighbor. 
And Snorky saw his chance. He jumped over the hedge. He pulled me through this hedge. He pulled me across the lawn on my elbows. He pulled me halfway across the street. When my elbows were just bleeding from the gravel of the road, I let go, and Snorky tore into that poodle. And man, it was like, man, he was just tearing, shaking that poodle. That's the way our relationship looked. That's what Paul is saying. And what I love about it, he says, that's the way we as believers can act together. You can start to act like dogs. In your marriage, are you like fighting dogs? Relationships between kids and parents, parents, are you snarling at your kids? In your work, are you known as the one that bears his teeth or her teeth? The Apostle Paul is saying, watch out. If you bite and devour one another you'll destroy each other. We had to take Willie to CT, and I thought Willie was going to be a goner. That dog went all the way through Willie's fur. And if it wasn't for that great big mop of white West Highland fur, Willie would have been dead. As a little kid of 10 years of age, when I saw that little poodle being shaken around, I ran in the midst of snorking, and I grabbed his jaws, and I pulled him apart with everything I got, and I started beating on Snorky's head. I was so scared. And finally, I got him to let go of that dog. He would have killed him. Jesus today wants to come in, and he's a lot stronger than I am. He wants to come in, and he wants to pull your jaws apart. Stop biting and devouring each other. You say, Dave, how do I stop doing that? If you're biting one another, then you're controlled by the Spirit of the flesh, the sin nature. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying that if you live by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you won't carry out the snarling and the biting and the viciousness of relying upon your own sin nature. But you have to decide. Right now in this auditorium right now, your life is controlled by a spirit of selfishness or it's controlled by the spirit of self-sacrificial love called the Holy Spirit. Your life is either focused on pride, you have a spirit of pride and arrogance, and life is all about you, or you have a spirit of giving and wanting to share with others and wanting to even use your talents for the benefit of others just the way Jesus does, because the Holy Spirit produces that. In the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about like the immorality that Susan, this college student I told you about, was in Brooklyn. We're going to find out that's one of the works of the flesh. It was, a, it was a really tough game when she went away to go to university. Religion wasn't going to cut it, and indulgence wasn't going to cut it. She needed something totally different to be able to live a holy life in a secular campus. She needed to learn to live by the Holy Spirit's guidance. But that begins with you deciding, who am I going to let control my life? I decide that right now. Is the Holy Spirit going to control Dave's life today? Am I going to take the steps moment by moment, hour by hour through my life, surrendering to him, letting him set the agenda, letting him change my heart, or am I going to get distance from him? Pat Riggin had a really tough week. A young uh, roofer swam across the river, Ended up in Virginia from Mexico, working with his brother, making big bucks. He got up on a roof, and he had gone weeks before 
to get trained in how to do the high wire act on a 12 by 12, 45 degree pitch. And what they taught them was you always need to be into your safety line. They hook a line a lot like when we rock climb. It's, a, it's kind of a bungee cord, kind of a line that you have a lot of freedom. Like when we freak, like when we climb hooked in and, they, and they're belaying it from the top, you would never even know you actually had a line approach. You can climb and you can do all kinds of things. But if you ever slip, your buddies jerk the line and it hits this special, uh, this special clip that you have and you stop you know, after bouncing like a yo-yo a little bit. And it's just like that in roofing. As Pat described it to a, a bunch of men yesterday, it's like you're hooked in. If you slip, it'll let you slide a little bit and then slow you down. The young man was up on the roof, this big pitch, and he's you know, using that air gun and everything else, and he looks across 20 feet. All he needs to do is go 20 feet, and there's another safety line over there. So he unhooks his safety line, and he begins to walk across that roof, and he slipped. And went sliding down that roof, and he fell over 30 feet. There were outriggers on the truck below him. His head hit that outrigger. And in a split second, a young 20-year-old, early 20-year-old, precious young life was gone. And Pat yesterday said, some of you have unhooked from your safety line. Some of you are trying to walk this high-wire act of called life, called marriage, called fathering, called mothering, called being a kid. And you're trying to do it free. Trying to walk in your own strength. And Pat just pled with a man. He said, stay hooked on to your safety line. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying when Jesus came into your life, he gave you a great safety line. And I've got great news for you. You can never unhook from him and be lost eternally. But I got news for you. You can unhook from his daily control you can bite and devour each other. And if you bite and devour each other enough, or if you go to too many parties without the Holy Spirit controlling you, you can slip and you can lose your physical life. It's real serious. And so the Apostle Paul comes with us with great love and great tenors, and he says, live by the Holy Spirit's power. Totally let him control. Stay totally hooked into him. And you won't carry out those destructive, evil impulses that we were born with, that we tend to nurture in our own strength, we can be set free to live for the Holy Spirit instead of living for the selfish spirits that live within us. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I would help my brothers and sisters to ask themselves very honestly, are they hooked into the safety line of your Holy Spirit as they live their life today? Lord, I want to pray that you would help us to hold each other accountable. That when we see one another, Pat said, if only he could have walked out of his construction trailer, if only he could have looked up from the architect's plans and gone outside, if only a few seconds earlier he could have gone out and said, don't unhook. Lord, I pray that we will keep our eyes on one another that we would not allow ourselves to be separated from one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I just pray as we close that your sweet Holy Spirit would take the words of the Apostle Paul and drive it home to our lives and change our lives. I pray that some precious brothers and sisters would get alone with you and surrender completely, give their total life over 
to the dominating lordship of the Holy Spirit in their daily life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.